Coming up on today's Locked On 49ers, stat projections are out according to ESPN, starting with the defensive side of the ball. How many sacks for Nick Bosa and the gang? Defensive player of the year follow-up, all that and more. Coming up on today's Locked On 49ers. You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, Brian Peacock and Eric Crocker at BD Peacock at Eric underscore Crocker. Thank you, everybody, for making us your first listen on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Big ups to all the everydayers out there. We appreciate you. If you want to be an everydayer, just subscribe on YouTube and everywhere you get your podcasts. And today, Croc, we're talking defense. We're talking stat projections. Mike Clay of ESPN uh, drop stat projections for darn near every player in the league, especially the starters. So this is going to be fun to dive into today. Uh, and I can, I think we'll have some idea of overs and unders and, and what we like here versus what Mike Clay projects. And some of this from a fantasy perspective, but obviously he's projecting what those stats are going to be. Nevertheless, for, um, you know, for the real world world NFL. So, um, real quick, I, I noticed his when the win loss projections as well. Yeah, it's interesting. And in, in the he, he projects the 49ers have the twelfth the twelfth most difficult. So the, the upper half of easy schedules in the or no, the twelfth most difficult, right? Uh schedule in the NFL. Uh projected wins being ten and a half, which is exactly where Vegas has the 49ers with the over under, right? Ten and a half. So really interesting there. Uh the eighth, the um, and according to the rest of the league, those projected 10 and a half wins would be eighth best in the NFL looking at the schedule. And it's even broken down per game. Like, uh, for example, week four, Arizona at home, 87% chance for the 49ers to win that game. Week one, do you find that interesting? I know we're going to get into players, but I just noticed this. So now I'm like yeah. super intrigued. I see the unit grades, quarterback 1.1. That seems like it's pretty low. So just interesting that he has all this. But week one, 49ers have a 52% win probability score by, by him. Do you agree or disagree? That's a coin. It's a coin flip game on the road. Not sure who your quarterback is. It's, 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 it's never an easy game. Oh, oh you think Purdy's 100% going to play in week one? I don't think yeah. it's that. I don't think it's that cut and dry. Yeah. You don't think so? No. I think well, I would bet on him being the quarterback. But then again, he hasn't played. He had no offseason. Is he going to be rusty at all? So is that a good thing if he's, you know, could you argue that the 49ers have a better opportunity with Sam Darnold or Trey Lance starting week one versus a guy who hasn't hardly had any practice all offseason? Kind of like how, and completely different for the most part, right? But I want to say coming off the divisional round game, uh, Trent Williams had a hurt ankle, said he probably shouldn't have played in that, that last game, and he did a couple years ago. And he was like, you know, probably would have been better off if McKivitz would have played. And you're saying, you know, just everything's pointing in the right direction, but, hey, there's a chance. There's a slight chance, right? You said if you had to put money on it, Brock Purdy would be the starter. But you could see a scenario where maybe he's not quite 100%. So is 90% of Brock Purdy better than 100% of Trey Lance or Sam Donald? Speaking of McKivitz, new starter at right tackle. Uh, you got T.J. Watt that comes a lot off the left side of that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. The last time Brock Purdy was on a field, uh, he was hit by the by a stud pass rusher coming off of that side. He's going to be taking extra peaks over there in his first game since that happened. So uh, I, I think that 
that week one is a sneaky, difficult game for the 49ers, especially how the team has started slow. Remember Jimmy Garoppolo, how bad he looked? He looked really rusty last year in his first action against the, uh, uh, what was that, the Denver Broncos game? He was bad in that game. And then he was really good later in the year, but he was bad in that first game. So it's it's not going to be, look, and, and these are all, the NFL's chaos in the first place. So th- this this could go a lot of directions for the 49ers this year. I know they're a really good team. And if you look at this, I think there's only, what, three games on the schedule that have a less than 50% chance of the 49ers winning that game. So I think this Pittsburgh game is the fourth lowest percentage for the 49ers at 52% win probability, fourth or fifth. You, you talked about the 49ers and kind of, you know, TJ White, some troubles that he could kind of provide for the 49ers, but... Looking at this unit grades, he has the 49ers offensive line as the worst unit on the team. They're not even at one. So, again, I don't know what the highest grade that you can give a guy is, but the 49ers running backs 4.0. So I'm assuming maybe a five. I think maybe just four is is the top. I think it's zero through four, it's looking like. Okay, so they have... The linebacker unit at a four, interior defensive line, which Eric Armstead and uh, Javon uh, Hargraves, 3.9, so that's pretty high. Tight end, 3.8, that's really high. Running backs, 4.0, but quarterback, 1.1, offensive line, 0.9. Yeah, very interesting there. Another interesting one. And and corners, corners, (laughs) yeah. 1.1. 1.1. We talked about this, right, with the uh, PFF projections. And I was surprised that they had the 49ers secondary as a top 10 unit because I think outside looking in, if you're a national, if you cover the, the NFL on a national basis, I think from the outside, you look at the 49ers offensive line, aside from Trent Williams, and you look at the 49ers defensive backfield, you probably don't think they're as good as as the 49ers and probably 49ers fans think that those two units are for the 49ers. Especially the 49 like the 49ers did nothing at tackle. They are all in on McKinnon. They, they're like, we're good. We are 100% good here. They've, they've had two off seasons to try to figure this out, knowing the, that uh, McGlinchey was going to be a free agent and that he would probably go. This is their plan at offensive tackle. And so that's super interesting to me. Like the 49ers believe this is a really good unit. And this is the unit they put together with years of uh, foresight. Because with uh, when, when Lakin Tomlinson was going to be a free agent, they drafted a second round player. When right. McGlinchey was going to be a free agent, they did nothing. Is there any unit there that surprises you with their grades? I, I would say for me, probably edge. And maybe that's right about where they are, but 2.0, that's kind of playing it safe. That's also factoring in Nick Bosa is on that defensive line and how great he is. And then outside of that, Nick Bosa at that position, they feel like it's fairly average, I would say. Or does Nick Bosa give them the average? So he really, I mean, if you take Nick Bosa away, it's like well, far below average. Right. That's basically what they're saying. It's somewhat similar. They probably like the rotational group a little bit better on the edge, apparently, than the uh, the offensive line. But basically what they're saying is you take that one great player away, and they're really bad. And that's what the that's what they're saying about the, the 49ers edge group, and that's what they're saying about the 49ers offensive line. And it's, it's kind of hard to argue with that. I think they're saying more about, I mean, it. A 0.9 on the offensive line with Trent Williams. Trent Williams, yeah. So they're, they're saying your offensive line is not good. And that's contradicting what we just read from PFF, which had them higher than. So them. there's there's a couple of things that are different about the PFF grade and about this projection from Mike Clay of ESPN. The ESPN 
projections that we're looking at today, uh, they are factoring in injuries. And Nick Bosa's uh, sack projection here is 13.1. And remember last offseason, we said smash the over on 12 sacks for Nick Bosa. And I hope everybody out there that was listening made that bet. And that was a super easy bet if he played the whole season. But Nick Bosa has missed time in the NFL. And Trent Williams has missed a lot of games in the NFL. And so when you look at some of these projections, and um, we'll get to the offensive side, and I think some people might be disappointed about some of the offensive projections as well, uh, they're factoring in injuries. And so if you're putting it through a model, a player like Nick Bosa, is it, his number is going to come out lower than what it would be if he's playing a full season. If they could guarantee, like, oh, no, Nick Bosa is going to play every single game, then he's like, all right, well, let's bump this D-line grade up. Yeah, and, and that's mostly because he's missed a, a few games aside from it, but he had the torn ACL and missed the whole season too. So that's, you know, that's always going to be part of it with some of these projections. And so I think that's part of it here as well. But I mean, that's easily an over, right? A healthy Nick Bosa for a full season's over 13.1 sacks. Now sacks can really fluctuate year to year. So, you know, he's not going to have 18 and a half, you know, 20 sacks every single season, but uh, 13 is a number he should be able to attain in a healthy season in most years, I think. Right. And we talk about TJ Watt, how great of a pass rusher he is. He's had some very explosive years where he had like 22 sacks, but also a lot of you know, 15 plus sack years. So, and I think that's where we believe that Nick Bosa is one of the best pass rushers. Even though Lane Johnson, someone asked him about like best pass rushers, and he mentioned a bunch of guys, did not mention Nick Bosa. <laughs> uh, I want Bosa lines up more on the opposite side. So maybe he just hasn't faced him enough. Uh, I think also sometimes when you ask a guy a question on the fly, like, hey, man, who's some of the – and then you could see his wheel spinning, like, well, you know, that Mike Parsons yeah. is really good. And, you know, obviously he plays twice, twice a year in the division and things uh, like that. Oh, man, you know who was one guy that was really good, that was one of the hardest guys to block, Olivier uh, Vernon. And it's like, okay, he was a giant. You know, he was a guy who yeah. uh, he faced twice a year. And, oh, man, uh, DeMarco Lawrence. I mean, uh, Demico, uh Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. So he's talking about a lot of guys that he faces multiple times. So uh, he did mention, I want to say Max Crosby, but Nick Bosa kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. He didn't mention Nick Bosa. Interesting. Slight. We need to put that article in Nick Bosa's locker this year. So he can. All right. What do you think Nick Bosa would say? That's his opinion. I'm just going to have to go sack Jalen Hurts, I guess, in week 13. (laughs) Sounds like a plan to me. All right, more. Uh, what about the rest of the defensive line aside from Nick Bosa? Who's going to get after the quarterback? Who's going to be the the Batman or the Robin to uh, the Robins to Nick Bosa's Batman next? Today's episode of Locked On 49ers is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just Bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose at FanDuel. That's $200 that you can spend on, you know, betting everything from money line to the over-unders to who you think is going to have the first home run. All on an app that is safe, secure, super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. And I, I do love the the app and the uh, 
the the website at FanDuel. So easy to build your own parlays and navigate the the sports and the numbers that you want to bet on. It is so clear and concise and easy to use. I love it. Not only Major League Baseball, of course, you can bet on tons of NFL. You can bet on Nick Bosa sacks. You can bet on rookies of the year. You can bet on PGA Tour. You can bet on just about any sport out there. Car racing, tennis, snooker, if that's your thing. We talked a lot about that on Peacock and Williamson. Still don't know exactly how snooker differs from uh, pool, but it's out there. Rugby, you name it. Volleyball, tennis, you can find it at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, Croc. Uh, by the way, really quick, looking at those uh, the strength of schedule for the 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles game, 49ers only have 38% chance according to ESPN's projections here of winning that football game on the road at the Philadelphia Eagles. That is the lowest number on here, 38%. The only others that are below 50% is Cincinnati Bengals week eight, uh, Cleveland on the road, interesting, in week six, and that Dallas game is a coin flip, 50%. Sneaky game in Cleveland. I'm telling you, that's the, that game, and I don't, I don't know, we'll see, but man, they got a good running back. They got some guys that can... Some Rex shop on defense with Miles Garrett and you know Deshaun Watson. What what's it gonna be after a full offseason? You know, it doesn't have the same type of distractions off of that, you know, whole weird incident that he had to go through. Uh that he put a lot of other people through as well. But on the football side of things, he's fully back. Yeah, like what what is gonna before the everything went down, I mean top six quarterback in the NFL. That's how he was viewed. So does he return to that? And if he does, that can be a little dangerous. I don't know about their pass game. I mean, yeah, they got Mari Cooper. I feel like they drafted somebody. I can't think right now. But uh, They drafted. They they did trade for Elijah Moore from the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of clips circling around social media with him catching the ball. I don't know if that's them hyping up the trade or mm-hmm. maybe trying to stick it to the Jets. Like, you guys gave us this guy? <laughs> Yeah, He's very active in OTAs. Clearly, things did not go well for Elijah Moore with the New York Jets, but the dude's electric. I mean, he is he is uh, twitched up for days. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see what that looks like for for him in Cleveland. So the next biggest sack total on the entire defense, Croc, after Nick Bosa's projected 13.1 sacks is Javon Hargrave at 6.9. And Hargrave is an interesting player because he is built low to the ground he's thickly built when he was drafted out of a small school i'm I'm blanking on which school he came from uh it was i'm gonna look it up right now because it's gonna drive me crazy south carolina state is the school he came from and i remember watching him senior bowl and he was awesome and uh he was one of my draft crushes that year and i uh, i thought he'd be a great fit at nose tackle for the for the 49ers in 2016 and that was obviously the pre the pre-John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan era, kind of running a different scheme there. Uh, and that's the role he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers early on. And, and really his entire career with the Steelers, he was more of a, a nose tackle. But in, in year three, he kind of broke out. He had a couple sacks in his rookie season, a couple sacks in second season. Then he had six and a half sacks in year three for Pittsburgh. And then after his fourth year, four sacks, uh, he was a free agent and signed in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, he had four and a half sacks his first year seven and a half sacks the next year and kept climbing up to 11 sacks last year. So really his only huge sack production year and double digit sacks was last year before becoming a free agent and signing with the 49ers. Before that, he had only been over 
uh, you know, four and a half sacks twice in his career, six and a half in 2018 and seven and a half in 2021. But clearly usage is, is one of the reasons why he had more sacks in Philly because they allowed him to do more than and didn't ask him to just nose tackle and, and two gap all day long. And so he'll have, he'll have a similar role with the San Francisco 49ers. But I don't think people should expect that he's going to be a huge double digit sack guy uh, right out of the gate for the 49ers. Although I think he's probably the most likely to have the next most sacks after Nick Bosa, just because he's explosive and he's just a, he's just a really good player all around running pass. But are you paying him to be a high sack guy? Yes. You're, you're paying him to be disruptive for sure. You're you're paying him to do everything. You're paying him to be DJ Jones plus DeForest Buckner. It's kind of what you're paying. You're paying Javon Hargrave to be okay, because again, and that's a lot. To, that's a lot to ask, even for a really good player like Javon Hargrave. It's almost like asking Eric Armstead to be a double-digit sack guy. Like, let's say if after his big year he'd hit the market, then all of, which he could have, but then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're not. You actually have zero sacks, and we know what his value is to the 49ers, especially as a run defender. But with somebody. They sign him in free agency and pay him eighty plus million dollars. Expect him to be that double digit sack guy. Is that what the situation is with the 49ers, where you did get a double digit sack guy, but that's not truly who he is, and he's more likely to have six sacks than the double digits? I mean, that's a good question, and, and I want to hear from the the listeners. Let us know in the comments on YouTube at BD Peacock at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. Would you be disappointed if if Javon Hargrave plays a few seasons with the Niners and he's a six sack a year guy? No, because I think for me, it's it's more so about the field, the impact, like you said, you know, being disruptive. So, you know, I think I value Eric Armstead more than a lot of people, even though you would like him to be more disruptive in the passing game. That was never what his game was predicated on. It, it was always good run defender, uh, you know, disruptive in the passing game in the sense of moving quarterbacks off of their spot. So if Hargraves is just, hey man, just getting the assist, right? And essentially throwing the alley-oop, to an Eric Armstead. So maybe let's say Hargrave gets six sacks, but all of a sudden we see Armstead have six sacks and Drake Jackson has six sacks. I would assume that that production was from the assist of uh, Javon Hargraves. So that, in my opinion, would be a success. Yeah, dis- disruption equals production too. And that's been kind of Eric Armstead's entire career. Uh, he had the one big sack year uh, before he uh, signed that free agent deal in 2019. But he's always been a guy that's gotten a lot of pressures, but just kind of is a step late from getting the sack. But he's been a productive player uh, and really good against the run. And he's projected to get four sacks this year, which would be more than he had last year. Four times as much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then Drake Jackson, here's one, six sacks projected for Drake Jackson, doubling his total from his rookie season. I mean, we talked about it before on this show a lot, Croc. He, he's one of the, the big keys to the 49ers on defense. If he has that breakout season, this could be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. Yeah, big time. You're, you're banking on him taking that next step. You got to find somebody that's going to give you legit production outside of Nick Bosa. Now, again, and I think I talked about it, I want to say on yesterday's episode, these are some of the things that you kind of deal with when you give up what you gave up to, to get Trey Lance. And when ideally you would like to have, you know, those three draft picks, or even let's say you spent one first on the quarterback, whatever. But the next two years, although late, maybe you're able to move up to get an edge rusher. There was a year where Jermaine Johnson fell late. 
Could he be somebody that would really help and rush opposite Nick Bosa, right? But you just miss out on all those opportunities, and you have to now count on a Drake Jackson who is closer to being a third-round pick than being, you know, a first-round pick. You you really are banking on essentially a, a late day two or mid day two guy to bring you any type of legit production. So yep. that's I think kind of tough, but you, you need him to be that. Absolutely. It helps you a lot if he does, especially heading into the next offseason. Because ideally, it's like, well, if he's not that guy, then all right, maybe you draft a, a, an edge rusher in the first round, or you you know look to prioritize it. You go best man available, best player available, but you look to prioritize pass rusher, edge rusher, because Drake Jackson ultimately didn't reach what you felt like he could be. One hundred percent. Yeah. The 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 and even as good as the 49ers have drafted in the later rounds, that's absolutely helped them not miss out or not miss those early picks that they've traded away so much. But yeah, that's something that you see. You start to see the trickle effect of not having that high end talent in the draft that you're able to bring in and, and develop. And you see that years later, not necessarily the year of those drafts where you don't have those picks. So they've got to continue to hit on those guys. And speaking of that, uh, how are these roles in the, uh, the back seven going to affect some statistics here? We'll look at some other projections on this 49ers defense next. Thanks again, everybody, for making Locked On 49ers your first listen every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We appreciate you. Uh, all the everydayers, we love you. Become an everydayer. Just subscribe up on YouTube. Hit that notification bell so you know when you go when we go live. We'll be hitting a live one, I think, tomorrow, as we usually try to do on Thursday evenings to end the week. And um, you can find us on all of your podcast apps. Okay. We had a question, actually. I'm going to tie this in. We had a, a Twitter question, Croc, and I don't remember who it was from. Let's see if I can find it real quick. It was from Anthony. And he said, are the Niners the only team whose linebackers are faster than their safeties? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's a great point. They might be. They might be the only team in NFL history that has faster linebackers than their safeties. Uh, they got a couple of safeties. Uh, they got three safeties, really. The guys that are projected to have the biggest roles on defense, including rookie Jair Brown, three safeties that probably can't break you know, four six, um, but their their linebackers are are super rangy, and they ask their linebackers to do more than other teams ask their linebackers, especially in coverage and how much range. I mean, when you see uh, when you see like I, I flash back to uh, when uh, I think it was his rookie year, uh, and Ruben Foster. Remember that one play where he picked up a. a a crosser behind him and he just made a beeline. It's like, wow, that's special stuff. And then we yeah. see that a lot now with Fred Warner and he'll pick up a, a wide receiver, not just a tight end or a running back or something in coverage. He'll pick up a wide receiver, right? And he's not just that hook defender. He's catching somebody who's coming behind him, running a dig route, running a crosser and runs with them. And it's pretty special stuff what they're able to do. So um, it's, yeah, the, the 49ers are built a little strange on defense and they put a lot on their linebackers. They definitely do, and they ask them to do a lot, especially with covering uh, receivers. And and I remember there was a play, gosh, was it Smith? What's his first name? They signed him like first first day of agency. Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith. He had to try to run with a, a receiver, <laughs> a number three receiver, all the way down the field. And I was like, uh, please don't do that again. But that's what's asked of it. And then you find the guys that can do it, which guys like Ruben Foster was able to. And obviously Fred Warner and what he's able to do. And then all of a sudden your defense is just that much more dangerous. And we saw Fred Warner uh, carry Hollywood Brown on a dig route, flip his hips, dive, knock the ball away. Uh, they ask a lot of them. 
and he definitely delivers as the best linebacker in the NFL. Is he faster than the safeties? I don't know about that. He's probably the same speed, but even then, that in itself is somewhat, I don't want to say a problem, but it just depends on how you're going to utilize your safeties. You don't have Jaquiski Tart back there anymore. You don't have Jimmy Ward, so you just don't ask these guys to do those same things. Maybe you just lean a little bit more on too high, and if you do that, it doesn't really matter if they're you know four, 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 five guys. They've got projections here for linebackers, which is you know tackles, and this is uh, solo plus assisted tackles. One hundred and thirty-seven for Fred Warner, one hundred thirty-nine for for Dre Greenlaw. Um, a sack point 1.3 sacks for, for Fred Warner and 1.4 interceptions with an interception for Greenlaw. So really similar statistical projections here for both Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. And it's a little bit harder to project those numbers because you never know when the ball's going to bounce into your hands, you know, when a tip ball is going to land, when a, when a, a quarterback is going to go blind and throw a football to a, to a linebacker. So, so those are a little bit more difficult, but um, I think we can take a lot more away from the uh, projections with the secondary croc. And a lot of it is, is snaps. And um, they, they kind of project a timeshare in the nickel is what I'm seeing here. 977 snaps for Charverius Ward, 923. So they're giving the full lion's share of snaps to the two starting cornerbacks, Ward and Lenore. Uh, but then 543 snaps to Isaiah Oliver, 434 snaps for Samuel Womack. So I think this is the projections just not knowing who's going to be the full-time player there. Um, but I think roles are going to be so important for this team, whether it's you know who gets sacks behind Hargrave and Bosa and who gets you know an opportunity to play in the secondary. He's going to be a really big uh, factor here for the 49ers and, and how good those depth pieces are for the Niners this year if they're forced into action if some starters get hurt. I selfishly, and really why I think he'll fit in best, but I'm pretty sure 49ers know more than me, but Samuel Womack, I want to see him really compete for that outside spot. I, I think that's where he's going to be best suited. Just use your athleticism, use your length, use your quick feet, your change of direction, your ability to turn around with guys and be an outside guy. They put him in the slot last year. I, I believe he can play there. Obviously, he had an issue with, you know, little birdie said, run fits that that was kind of the issue why we saw him get benched and they ended up putting Diamondo Lenore there we watched him play well there before he had to play on the outside and he played well on the outside but Samuel Womack I just want to see him compete because I feel like with his length his, the, the reason why he probably failed so far is because well I'm only 5'9 it's like all right if you're 5'9 but you have that type of length and that type of ability who, who cares if you're not 5'11 6 foot tall I think if you're in the right defense, which 49ers run a lot of quarters off coverage, I think he fits that defense well. Uh, you don't need those 6'3 long, 6'2 long guys as you would in like that Seattle three or like a single high defense. So uh, I'll, let me see him on the outside. What does that look like? So those those snaps, it doesn't look like they are anticipating anything crazy with the outside guys. But I will say this. Highest snap count guy, Fred Warner, 1,032. That Again, that's projected. Uh, same for uh, Hufunga, 1,032. That's more than Ward and Lenore. So maybe they're assuming somebody gets hurt. Yeah, and, and if there is one guy that gets hurt, the guy out of the corners that we've seen kind of being banged up a little bit, Traverius Ward. 
Yeah, and I think that's part of it, using sort of his injury history against him there, and he's not playing the full snaps. And, and Fred Warner and Tano Hufanga are the only defenders they have pretty much out there every snap, and they haven't had any uh, – I can't think of any Hufanga injuries that kept him out. Games, Fred Warner too, right? College, he's he's had so banged up – but like you know, leave the game and then come. remember there was one injury where it's like, oh no, Fred Warner looks like he might be Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and then he 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 was out for a play and tried it back on the field. I think uh, Cowboys in the playoff game in Dallas. Yes, that was it. It's even worse when you're at the game. I was actually at that game, and you know, there's no there's no TV or announcer to tell me what's going on. It just <laughs> gets quiet, and I see Fred Warner. I'm like, oh my gosh! Wow. And I'm scrolling through Twitter trying to figure out what's going on with them. <laughs> I feel like the interception projections are low for Hufanga and Gibson. Those guys got their hands on so many footballs last year. 2.8 interceptions for Hufanga, 2.2 for Gibson. Uh, I'm taking the over on both of those. Both of those guys. I, if I had to guess, I'd say they both get three. They just figure it out. They're always around the ball. They have a knack for it. Uh, there's going to be a couple of bad balls. They fly around. They put themselves in position to make plays on the ball. I'm definitely going at least three for both of those guys. And that's been their career. Again, we're talking about Tishon Gibson. You know, he's someone who has 32 career interceptions. You also have Jair Brown. They, where's the interception total? Point, point one. So they don't have him getting one. I'm taking the over on that too if I can. They only have Jair Brown projected to take 33 snaps. So they're they're thinking it's going to be, you know, uh, play a lot of special teams. You're a backup as a rookie. And, um, and so that's the that's why I think Jair Brown's projections are low here. They're just not projecting him to be on the field. I, I would think he would be on the field a little more and maybe even some three safety looks and have an opportunity to play a Jimmy Wardish kind of a role. Um, I, I would be surprised how much they like Jair Brown. And, and his thing is not, you know, he's not a raw prospect. He's, he should be a guy theoretically can come in and play a lot. And he'll have a uniform on game day and he'll be on special teams. So I think Jair Brown has an opportunity to play a lot more than than they're projecting here. But it's a good point. And it's what, how Jair Brown can maybe get on the field even in some nickel work is um, you brought it up with Samuel Womack there. And it's, it's something for people to remember when you're playing that nickel role and, uh, the, you know, Jimmy Ward was so good at it and – I think that's why they brought in a bigger corner and Isaiah Oliver to be that bigger slot corner is uh, run fits are really important at that position. And Shark, he was really good at it too. So, you know, Ambry, or I mean, uh, Sammy Womack, if he's going to want to compete for that nickel job, he's going to have to be really good in, in that regard and, and get better there with his run fits because that's, that's something that's really important and something that Jair Brown is really good at, being close to the line of scrimmage and, you know, they might want to get a couple of Hufangas on the field too with, with Jair Brown and Talanoa Hufanga. And if you are going to be the third safety, somebody's likely to maybe get banged up for a little bit, have to come out or whatever the case is, maybe even, even if it's just for a game. And in that game, that'd be Jair's opportunity to get that one pick. And I don't think it should be completely dismissed that Jair Brown could just win the job. Because Tashawn Gibson's on a one-year deal. He was on a one-year deal. He was signed off the street in August last year. You know, it was kind of an afterthought when he joined the team. And he's a veteran, and he was a good player, and he was much better than I even expected him to be for the 49ers last year. But they went up and drafted this guy and moved up in the in the third round to get Jair Brown. He's the first draft pick they made this year. And if they think he's ready to go, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't just throw him out there. And, and we've seen them try to phase certain guys out. We saw with Hufunga and Jakorski Tart. Where all of, all of a sudden... Tart's reps started to get cut into. 
So those are some of the projections from ESPN's Mike Clay. Let us know what you think at BD Peacock at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. We'll come back and do the offense as well. Some very interesting projections for 49ers in 2023. Thanks everybody for making this your first listen. Croc and I back tomorrow live right here. Locked on 49ers. Subscribe to this video.